Standing alone, each has his own ticket in his hand. As the evening descends, I start thinking about every man. So you, you get to know the inner work and you, you realize that it's just regular people doing a lot of hard work. Welcome to Waiting Here for Every Man. I'm Kendall Hallman. Each week on this podcast, I interview regular people about the music in their life. This week's episode, I interviewed Ben Ebel. He's involved with uh, community choir groups and also uh, helped out with the OSU marching band in college. Also, after the interview, uh, you can stay tuned. Uh, I did a little tribute to uh, Tom Petty because he did uh, pass away this week. Oh, now you're too loud. Okay. <laughs> all right. How are you doing tonight, Ben? I'm all right. How are you? I'm, I'm doing well. So uh, the first question that I always ask uh, on the podcast, uh, uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, uh, with 1 being a, a casual hobbyist and 10 being an uncompromising professional musician, where would you put yourself in your music? Um, I'd have to say a 2. Because I've never made any money off my music, and it's just a hobby. But I do perform with the Phoenix Symphony sometimes uh, with the choir that I'm in. So that's a professional level, and they're making money even though we're not. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. Um, in a in a perfect world, where would you fall on that scale? Uh, I mean, I, I like it as a hobby. I, I considered music as a career at one point. I just didn't know what the I didn't know if it was reliable enough, so I, I didn't want to live, you know, gig to gig. I wanted to have a steady paycheck, so I decided not to go into it for money. Okay. Um, so uh, tell tell me about that time that you were where you were considering uh, becoming professional. What steps did you take, and and where was where was sort of the moment that you decided that you changed your mind that you decided to make it more of a hobby? Oh, I really didn't go very far with all with that at all. I just was thinking about it, and I decided that it, it wasn't worth the effort to pursue. Was I, I just enjoyed it too much to try to make it about money, and I didn't want to have to worry about money while singing, uh, while performing. Okay. Um. So, uh, pr- your your primary music is is your voice, is your choral uh, uh stuff. Uh, do you play any instruments? I don't anymore. I played trumpet. All the way through middle school, high school, and college, but I haven't touched it since I graduated. It just doesn't really work well in an apartment. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well. Yeah. You know. You. Uh, you. You make. You make it work. Yeah. <laughs> or, I, mean, or, if you, I, or, yeah. I had a reason to play it. I would, but I just yeah. don't. I'll never have a reason to take it out. I also used to play the piano too, but I all I have now is a, le- a little electric keyboard. I don't really know any songs, so mm-hmm. kind of let those things slip and. Kind of wish I hadn't, but at this point, it's just like yeah. not even worth the effort, you know. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, especially something like uh, something like the trumpet. That's um, a that's a challenge to really stand on its own. You kind of you kind of have to have a group uh, that you're playing with um, to keep going with that. Um, so. Uh, even when I owned a piano, I I played it maybe once every couple of weeks just for mm-hmm. fun. So it wasn't like I was doing a whole lot with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, tell me, tell me, go, tell me a little bit more about your about your history as a musician. Where where you sort of where things got started and and some of the some of the the key moments in, in your early musicianship. 
Well, I mean, you know, I don't know exactly where it got started. I grew up kind of in a semi-musical family. My mom played piano when she was younger, and my dad played saxophone through high school and I think in college. And he still plays around sometimes in uh, what they call the New Horizons Band, which is a band for adults that are just either relearning or learning new instruments. Mm -hmm. So he still plays around with it sometimes. But So I come from a, a musically inclined family, I guess is the better way to put it. Mm -hmm. And we always, you know, we would sing a song at bedtime when I was a child after doing like a bedtime story. And then apparently I begged my mom for piano lessons. I don't remember this, but apparently I begged her for piano lessons. And I started doing piano lessons when I was in first grade. And then from there, I just branched out into, I played in, in the middle school orchestra for a little bit. And then the middle school and high school and college bands and started singing when choir was available to me in sixth grade and just kind of did everything I could. Okay. Um, so, uh, so with, with piano lessons, how long, how long did you take lessons? I did from first grade all the way through the end of high school, all the through the end of 12th grade. Okay. Okay. So you, so you, uh, you played for, you played for quite some time then. Yeah. Um, I thought it was pretty good too. I just, when I went to college, I didn't have any instrument to play on and I didn't have any reason to keep playing. So I just mm -hmm. kind of let that go when I was mm -hmm. focusing on school. Okay. Um, but you did, you did keep up the trumpet through college. I did. Okay. I, uh. I tried out for the marching band uh, right before my freshman year and did not make the cut. Ended up working for them for a couple of years and joining the athletic band, which plays for all the other sports, basketball, hockey, sometimes soccer, sometimes gymnastics, sometimes track and field events. Mm -hmm. uh, and then um, ended up doing that just for, for fun and, and working for the marching band. And then uh, also kept singing. Wasn't able to do any um, choirs at school because my schedule didn't allow it. They were all in the middle of the daytime when I was in my engineering classes, but that's where I ended up getting into the professional level choruses. I was in the Columbus Symphony Chorus, and then every city I've lived in since then, I've been in a chorus. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, so you have you have moved around a few times across the country uh, in the last few years. Um, how how have you how has that affected your ability to keep up your your singing? It hasn't affected my ability to keep up the singing. There's always a choir in every city, but it's affected the the continuity. You know, a lot of the people that I that I especially now that I sing with, I mean, that are my age, and I'm 29 years old. Some of them have been doing it for years and years, and I'm coming up in my second season just because I've moved around so much. So it does break the continuity, and it breaks maybe some of the the more um, in, intrinsic parts of being involved in a group like that. But as far as the actual mechanics of singing, I've never had any issue keeping doing that. Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, so tell me a little bit more about the uh, the group that you're that you're singing with now. Um, you referred to you said you, you called it a professional you called it professional level, or or would you can think of this more as a more of a community group or somewhere in between? It's it's both. We are a community group. The only one who's paid is the director, and I think the accompanist probably is paid too. Just the, the rehearsal accompanist, but we sing with the the Phoenix Symphony. Um, three or three to six times a year, depending on the schedule. And so they're professional level. So the, the music we make is what you would pay to hear. People are paying for these tickets. So we have right. to be a good quality. It's just that there's no budget for us to be paid, unfortunately. Okay. Um, the, the thing that I've always struggled with, with community groups is there's a, there's a varying level of, of talent and skill amongst people that that want to play that want to play in a, in a community group and, and finding a and I always it was always a challenge for me finding a, a group that was you know that was 
that was both not that wasn't like like you said the Horizons band that that it was adults learning new instruments or or getting back into things that wasn't at that extreme but also wasn't you know the local band directors and the local people who have music degrees and stuff somewhere in between there I always I always struggled with that Did, have you run into that or have you run into the with this group that you're in of sort of a very a variance in in skill level there's a little bit of a variance, but it's an auditioned group, and it's kind of a it's a similar vein across the country. They all kind of emulate each other, so mm-hmm. there's a certain level of quality that's expected of people who are in the group. And if you don't meet that, then you're not going to be in the group in the first place. So that kind of cuts out a lot of the the lower skill levels and mm-hmm. puts everyone on a little more even playing field. And then from there, there's more opportunity to grow and, and become even better. But there's at least a baseline that's kind of expected of everyone. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so, uh, what, um, cause I, I mean, the main reason that I wanted to talk to you was, was about, was about this, about singing in, in community groups. Cause I think that it's, it's something that a lot of people, it's a kind of a world that a lot of people don't know too much about. Um, mm. what, what sort of, what, what kind of, what kind of time commitment, what kind of expectations are there in a group like this? Yeah. Um, well, all the groups I've been in, so I, I did it in Columbus, I did it in Salt Lake City, and I didn't live in Denver long enough to do it. I was only there for six months, but I do it here in Phoenix. They're all very similar uh, time-wise. It's always one night a week for rehearsal. I believe they've all been two and a half hours, but anywhere from two to two and a half hours. And uh, usually, you know, there's a break in the middle. There's a chance to rest when they go through announcements and housekeeping things. And then concert week comes and you have a rehearsal pretty much every night that week. You just, mm-hmm. you pretty much don't have a life outside of, of work and this choir during a concert week. You'll have your normal rehearsal and then you'll start having dress rehearsals and then you'll have the concerts Friday, Saturday, and sometimes Sunday too. Um, but that's, you know, you'll know that ahead of time. I mean, that's expected as part of the, the uh, commitment to the group because mm-hmm. we don't practice with the orchestra until the dress rehearsal is just the piano and the conductor. Okay. Okay. Um, and, uh, so when you talk about, when you talk about rehearsing with, with a group like this, um, are, are you, I mean, you personally and, and, and other, other people in the group, is there a lot of outside preparation or are you pretty much learning the material during rehearsal? I think that's more of a, an individual thing. Uh, most of the time, me personally, I don't have to do too much outside of it because I'm good at sight reading music, and also uh, I've sung enough in German, Italian, Latin, French that I can get through the words pretty easily. If it's a harder uh, a work that's harder, the language is harder, something like that, sometimes I do put a little extra time in outside, but for the most part, I'd say 90% of the time, I don't have to do anything outside of the group. But it, that's that's an individual thing too. Yeah. Some people might have trouble learning notes. Some people might have trouble learning the words. Mm-hmm. Some people might have trouble with both. It just really depends on what you need to put in so that you can keep up with the group next time you're in group rehearsal. Um, are you generally uh, memorizing the material, or or is or are you re- reading it like for the, for the per- performance wise? Obviously, when you're when you're rehearsing, mm-hmm. you're probably it's reading. almost it's almost never officially memorized. Sometimes it comes to me naturally, if just for okay. going through it enough times. But it's never, almost never required to be memorized. Just okay. we sing with the music open. Okay, okay. Um, so, uh, see, I, I was, I said, I said that you were gonna, you do. There's things in this world that people don't think about, 
and me as I mean I sing, but not in the, the you know the only choirs that I sang in were church choirs. So I've never sang in other languages. Mm-hmm. Um, can what what are some of the challenges, and how did you how did you learn to to sing in other languages? Some of the challenges is just being able to read the words to start because some languages you see a syllable or a letter combination and they mm-hmm. don't sound in that language like they do in your mind as an English speaker. So to that, you just have to learn the, the pronunciation rules of a language. So for example, in Italian, uh, if the letter C is followed by an E or an I, it becomes che or chi. Mm-hmm. But if it's followed by an O, U, or A, it's ko, ku, or ka. So it changes the sound of, of the letter C. And you wouldn't know that unless you'd studied the language or you had some kind of pronunciation guide. So that kind of thing can trip out the English speaker. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and did you did you learn about this mostly in in school in high school choir? Is that is that like something that? I think I picked it up mostly just over the years. I started, I mean, we sang a little bit of things in different languages in middle school. I can't remember the specifics off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure Italian was one of them. It's a very common language for, you know, classical art music. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've just always had an affinity for languages, too, and I speak a good deal of French and a little bit of Italian. So it just kind of came naturally to me. But a lot of people have a good hard time with it, and they have to write all kinds of phonetic reminders to themselves in their music on how to pronounce it. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that's uh that's 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 interesting. Um, yeah, I consider myself lucky for sure that I yeah, that I'm good yeah. at languages. So so you speak a couple different or you speak you you know a little bit of, of of a couple different languages. Is that from is that from formal training? Yes, like, I've, I've studied French for years and years, and I did a little bit of Italian in college just to fill okay. a hole in my schedule. Okay. Okay. Cool. Cool. Um. So let's. Uh, Let's change the line of questioning up a little bit here. Uh, uh, what? Uh, what? Well, actually, actually, you know what? We're I'm in Columbus, and I, I do this podcast for my parents. Uh, so um, you talked about work. Tell, tell me a little bit more about working with the OSU marching band. All right. Yeah. So it's kind of um, I don't know. Funny is the word, or just kind of random how I ended up with them. But I was at tryouts one night and they announced or I, I don't think think it was even tryouts yet I think it was like the, the pre-tryouts volunteer practices where you go to just get better at, at the marching part right, of it right and they announced that they were looking for an audiovisual technician and I thought oh, that sounded cool so I applied and when I ended up getting cut from the tryout process I was like well this is it I'm gonna go for this and they they wanted me to work there because I had a little bit of a technical background already just an affinity for things technical which is why I'm a programmer right now mm-hmm. but um, and I ended up just loving it worked, worked for them for two seasons uh, I got to travel with the band everywhere uh, we were there were other staff members as well that did things like handle the uniforms instruments instrument repairs uh, that we had some secretaries people who were in charge of selling records to the general public uh, all kind of stuff. I think there were 14 total. So we do things like handle props and load trucks and load planes and that kind of stuff. But then specifically, me and one other person would uh, record the band. So the the primary function was to record the band playing indoors and then play it back over the speakers while they were learning their charts marching outside. 
Okay. And then we also recorded the marching with the video camera and played that back at the next indoor rehearsal so that they could watch themselves and learn from their mistakes. So it was kind of a continuous feedback loop. And then we recorded all the games as well so they could watch them the next Monday and see how they'd done. So I got to watch most of the games from the press box, which was pretty cool. Cool, cool. Um, so uh, I guess... I'll do I'll do one more question about the about OSU marching bands. Um what well first of all, I mean the OSU marching band is really is really impressive uh from as you know just sort of as an outside viewer. Um I guess does it stay does it stay that impressive if you're working with them all the it, time? It's still impressive, but it kind of loses that celebrity status you know what i mean uh -huh. so you you get to know the inner workings and you realize that it's just regular people doing a lot of hard work to get this finished product out and they're not just some godlike beings that have this magical ability you know what i mean right 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 so you, you kind of lose that that pedestal but they're still really good musicians and it, uh -huh. it's a joy to, to experience them all the time mm -hmm. okay yeah i mean yeah, there, there's, there's something, there's something to them. That's, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. um, Absolutely. Um, it's and it's and it's also uh, just something I've always thought was interesting about college marching bands, especially big ones like, like the OSU marching band. Like most of those are not music majors because if they were music majors, they wouldn't have time to be mm -hmm. in the marching band, and it would mess up their embouchure and all, all sorts of other stuff. So. Uh, these are, you know, it's, it's really right. I mean, you know, you say it's regular people, it's people who are, it's English majors and it's engineering majors and, and, and I, I think that I've heard that the highest, uh, enrollment of majors is engineering. Maybe that's just because there's so many different disciplines of engineering, but it's mm -hmm. just interesting and engineer myself to see the, the, the creative outlet that these people are, are doing. Mm -hmm. Cause that's basically what I do with my choir too. It's my creative outlet from, from a, you know, a right range job. Or left range, rather job. Yeah. All right. Um. So. Uh, so. Um. The other. The other reason. Another. One other reason that I wanted to interview you is I really do think of you as, as a fan of music. Um, Absolutely. And uh, so. So what. Um. What would you say is is what type of music do you listen to? What kinds of music do you listen to? I like classical music mostly. Okay. Um, uh, who are some of your uh, favorite composers? I tend toward the basically right up until the modern period. So getting into like Schoenberg and Stravinsky and that kind of stuff is a little bit okay. much for me, but right before them. So the late romantic, just really thick instrumentations and lots of different lines going on at the same time. And then okay. I start working backwards from there. So those are my favorites. And then, other than the modern stuff, which I really don't like that much, my, my least favorite before them is the Baroque, just because it's so simple and and um, melodic. Okay, okay, so you you think you think of Baroque as being more simple than classical, even? Well, it's, you know, it depends on the ornamentation, but just I, I just really like the thick, um, you know, big romantic, you know, brass and giant string sections and, you know, Wagner, Dvorak, Tchaikovsky, right. that kind of stuff. And then, and then I go back, you know, Beethoven, Mozart are kind of middle of the road for me. And then I start going back even farther and it just mm. becomes less interesting, but I really just like okay. when there's just a lot going on. See, that's, that's kind of, that's an interesting, that's an interesting take because, um, 
I agree with you that I I really like Dvorak. Dvorak's ninth is is one of my favorite pieces. Um, that actually is my favorite symphony. Yeah. Uh, um. It, I I mean I think I think uh, Jaws is the best is is one of the coolest <laughs> things in all of classical music. Yeah. Um. But uh, I've always thought of I feel like the classical era that uh, Mozart and Haydn, uh, that era is 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 the most boring to me. Like. I feel like uh, stuff like I mean, especially Bach. I like I th- I think of the Baroque era as Bach. I know there's other composers from that era, mm-hmm. but um, like Bach wrote the rules, and so he doesn't always follow the rules. Right. Um, and so his so his stuff is very interesting and counterpoint and and everything. Uh, whereas yeah, Mozart and Haydn, um, and then. I mean, to a lesser extent, Beethoven. Honestly, I haven't delved too deep into Beethoven. Uh, I mean, I listened to a lot of Beethoven's Fifth, but um, obviously, Beethoven is that is that sort of transition between classical and and mm-hmm. romantic era. Um, so, but like, yeah, I I just that's that's interesting that you don't think of that you that you think of the Baroque era as as boring. And I I also like pre-baroque i like gabrielli um oh, okay and and that's, stuff like and that maybe that's more what i'm thinking of just the real simple line i don't really think it's boring necessarily it's it's interesting for different reasons but what i just what i enjoy listening to is is the little bit more mm-hmm. thick instrumentation yeah yeah okay okay i see what you're saying because because i mean yeah you're not gonna have like you don't th- when you think of bach you're not you're thinking of something that was written on the organ you're not thinking of a giant orchestra mm-hmm. okay okay that makes that makes sense um exactly I, just, I really like a lot of instrumentation i really enjoy brass quite a bit and a lot of the, the older uh eras didn't use a lot of brass maybe like one trumpet or something mm-hmm. but i just really like a whole a full brass session a full wind section mm-hmm. nice string section it just i think it really fills out the the sounds mm-hmm. a lot but Had, the, you know, but older stuff's interesting for its own reasons. Yeah, you know, yeah. the, the Brandenburg concertos, and you know, the toccata that is always played around Halloween. That right, right, so, like, right. Those are, those are interesting in their own right, just because there's so much going on in one voice. But I just prefer more voices myself. Okay, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Um, have you have you listened to uh, any Gabrielli? Uh, I. Probably have. I don't know the you're not, name. You, you don't, don't know the have. name. So Gabrielli was uh, like medieval times, um, okay. and 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 uh, at least uh, I mean I'm you know who knows what they were playing back then. But uh, when he's when his music is performed these days, it's it's usually by brass choirs. Um, and there's oh, a okay. there's a uh, there's an album. So was it kind of a thing? I'm sorry, the Skype like connection. Gregorian chantal. Uh, is it more of a Gregorian chant almost? It's it's newer than that. It's after that. It's after that. It's it's more. It's it's so it's closer to. I think it's closer to to, um, like the counterpoint of of uh of like of like Bach or something like like it's cl- it's closer to that than than Gregorian chants. Uh, it's because it's that was the Gregorian stuff was earlier. This is yeah. sort, of, sort of in between, but yeah, um, looking him up right now, it looks like he was active in the late latter half of the 1500s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but if you ever get a chance, there's an album that uh, three of the the brass sections from three of the of the big 
uh, three of the big symphony orchestras in the seventies got together and did a bunch of his stuff called the antiphonal, uh, Gabrielli. And it's like the, it's like, it's like the best brass music, like considered like the best recording of brass music ever period by anybody. Oh. Um, and it's, it's really cool. <laughs> yeah. It sounds cool. Um, okay. Okay. So, uh, now that we've had that little, that little let's talk about music thing tangent, <laughs> I, which which tends to happen in this uh, in this podcast. We we talk about music on this podcast about music. Um. So uh. So we've talked a little bit about what you've done uh, musically. What uh. Um, what is what what moment are you most proud of musically that you've that you've done? Um, it's hard to pick one moment. I just really enjoy performing um but as far as like personal high points probably things like um we sang this hebrew piece last year in, in my choir here that i'd sung once in high school and everyone was just super impressed by how well i did with it because it's a little unusual it's, it's a bernstein called Ch- chichester psalms so it's a little unusual and it's also in hebrew and so that was kind of cool just getting all the recognition from that but just that kind of thing in general. Just I enjoy just doing well what I do. So just be kind of almost being like an internal leader, like unofficial internal leader from the group, just as, you know, as far as musicality and that kind of thing. Yeah. So that's yeah. kind of a high point for me, just giving my best performance and, and my best rehearsal mm-hmm. all the time. So uh, when it, it was a, it was a piece that you were familiar with from high school. Was it interesting revisiting that piece with a more, a more, for lack of a better word, professional setting? Yeah, it was. It was actually a really good choir that I did it with in high school. It was the, the mm-hmm. top choir in my right. high school out of, uh, I think, maybe four or five mixed choirs. And then there were several other choirs as well. There were nine total choirs in my high school. So mm-hmm. it was a really big choral program. And I mean, it was the top choir that did it. So it was already a pretty good level. But just the, you know, in, in relatively mature voices and that kind of thing, too. But it was it was interesting more than anything how much of it stuck with me because it made such an impression on me that that i believe it was 13 years went by and i was able to pick it up like it was yesterday mm-hmm. yeah that's yeah that's that's actually really interesting um i just remember revisiting some of the same material between high school in a, like a high school band setting and a college band setting and it was like this this piece that we worked on for months and months in high school was something that we worked on for like couple weeks in college and sounded way better than yeah than yeah that then. happens sometimes too <laughs> um let's see so um like me you're almost 30 yeah um how but but you've managed you it sounds like you've managed to stay pretty consistent with your music but over the years um what changes have happened in your life and how has that changed where, where music fits in? Um, just different work and, and school commitments have come up and it's caused me to, and, and personal stuff too, it's just caused me to, you know, take a, a short hiatus or have to rework something in my schedule just to make time. And it's, mm-hmm. so, you know, sometimes it, it means that I have to give up a social life for a night or a week or something like that. It you know it's sometimes it's a constant. It's almost like a constant ballet between the different aspects of my life. It's just I'm adding one more aspect to it. I mean, the the average person has to fit family, work, 
sleep, you know, um, exercise, relaxation into their life. And I just had this one more thing on top of it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, has there been what? So, uh, so sort of building on that. Uh, well, first of all, you said you said that the one one of the main challenges was was giving up social life. Have have you had? Uh, have you ever struggled with balancing uh, professional commitments with with your music? I haven't struggled with that because I always take my my job seriously and it's always my my top priority over a volunteer organization like mm-hmm. this and I think they understand that so every once in a while they'll do what they call a coffee classics concert and it's like 11 o'clock on a Friday or something like that and I, I never participate in those and I let them know ahead of time because we're given the schedule at the beginning of the year and they're understanding because they know that we're a volunteer organization so it's never held against me but you know sometimes I wish that I could perform in those concerts I just have to do uh, keep my my income at a high priority. Right, right, right. Do you think that uh, these? So, so I guess I guess I'm not sure if this is a question or or a statement, but we'll see how it comes out. Uh, so it seems <laughs> it seems like one of the things that has has helped you keep up is is maintaining the these singing in these different choirs in these different cities. Um. Do you think that you would? Do you think that you would find still find a way to keep up with your singing if you didn't have uh, these opportunities? I probably wouldn't actually sing a whole lot if I didn't participate in these choirs. I mean, I'm not really active in a church, and a lot of people sing in their church choir, and that's that's their their creative outlet once a week, and that's great for them. But that's not really my thing. So yeah. without these choirs, I probably wouldn't really have a reason to sing. You know, I just kind of sing to myself around my apartment, and that's probably about it. Yeah. Yeah, I know I've I've uh, toyed with the idea of finding a church choir to sing, even though I don't really, I'm not really mm-hmm. that, you know, I'm not really religious anymore. Uh, but uh, but it's like, yeah, I mean, it is a it is a real challenge because like that's just a like, um, singing in the, singing in the church growing uh, growing up, whether in a choir or not in a or not in a formal setting, singing you know every every Sunday singing songs. I think really, really, uh, is a, is a very, is a very, uh, obvious, uh, creative outlet, mm-hmm. um, or, or just, just way to keep up your, your music way to keep up your ear. Um, exactly. And I, and I still spend a lot of time listening to music on my own too. And I'll, you know, I'll sing stuff to my stuff to myself around the apartment, especially enjoy musical theater. So like I'll be listening to a, a Broadway show on CD and I'll think, Oh, that, that piece sounds interesting. Maybe I'll just learn it for the sake of learning it and I'll look up the lyrics and I'll learn it by listening to it. And then I just sing it to myself around the apartment sometimes just for fun, that kind of thing. Okay. Let me see if I have any other questions for you. I think, I think we've covered most of what I wanted to cover. I know I talk really quickly, so I'm probably not giving you enough material to cover your time. Well, you know what, you know what, the nice thing about a podcast is we can, is, is it can be, it can be ten minutes long, or it can be three hours long. Uh, yeah, and uh, and if and if I wanted to, I also I have a I did a shorter interview with somebody uh, with uh, a couple weeks ago that I could I could double them up if if it if it does whittle it down. Yeah, I think I think that really is uh, mostly what I mostly what I wanted to talk talk to talk to you about. And I think yeah, I think this is 
uh, really, really interesting that the whole point of this podcast is to talk to people who are maybe not just, uh, who are, well, who are not professional musicians, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> or who are, or who are professional musicians, but not, you know, rock stars or whatever. And, yeah. and, uh, and, um, unfortunately most of the people that I know of that are, you know, bar band guitar players, which, you know, mm-hmm. I like talking to and I can, I can have a conversation with easily, but, uh, but I think that, um, this is really interesting. You've got a, You've got a different take. Well, I hope that it's given you uh, enough information because to me, I look at my, my music in my life and I think it's just, I'm just, it's just a normal life, you know, my normal, normal part of my life. So it's hard for me to see anything special in it. So I hope that you're getting what you need out of what I'm giving you. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Okay. Yeah. yeah no, well, she grew up in an Indiana town, had a good looking mama, never was around, but she grew up tall and she grew up right for the Indiana boys on an Indiana night. Away was more than they'd seen. I was introduced and we both started grooving. Said I'd take it, baby, but I got to keep moving. On. Moving on. Last dance with Mary Jane. One more time to kill the pain. I know bookending my little Tom Petty tribute with my mediocre covers of his is a bit self-indulgent, but my love for Tom Petty really stems from playing his stuff more than listening to his work. Even though I'd easily put him in the top 10 musicians of all time, I've never really delved deep into his catalog. I basically discovered Tom Petty in high school by listening to my parents' copy of his greatest hits. I'm sure I'd heard Free Fallen before, but I don't remember if I specifically sought it out or if I was just looking for something to listen to. I immediately fell in love with tracks 12 through 17. I Won't Back Down, Running Down a Dream, Free Fallen, Learning to Fly, Mary Jane's Last Dance, and Into the Great Wide Open. That's how I was with a lot of artists back then. I'd, I'd start by latching onto a particular stretch of their greatest hits. Eventually, I loved the whole thing and listened to it over and over. When I got my first guitar, the, the first song I learned was Mary Jane's Last Dance though I called it Last Dance with Mary Jane until embarrassingly recently. I remember struggling to learn the three chords and sing along for a couple hours before going downstairs and playing the song for my parents. I'm sure I muddled through it and didn't get the rhythm right, but they seemed impressed and that was when I realized that I could really be a guitar player if I put in the work. I learned the riff for Running Down a Dream but never quite learned the rest of the song. Um, In a minute, you'll hear the first time I successfully learned Into the Great Wide Open, a song that I learned the chords for uh, before I even got a guitar, but could never get it to sound quite quite right. Uh, Pro tip, the uh, string of E minor chords are just walking down from the seventh fret on the A string a half step at a time, muting the D string and leaving the other four strings open. It's really easier than it sounds. More than anything, Tom Petty's songs taught me how to write. Most were three or four chords repeated with neat solo sections. To this, to this day, that's how most of my songs are structured. 
A handful of times I'd steal a chord progression from a Tom Petty song as the basis for what I was writing. Recently I learned Rivers Cuomo of Weezer keeps a record of cool chord progressions he hears to use as foundations for songs just like I used with Tom Petty. There's still a ton of great Tom Petty for me to listen to. Today I listened to his solo album, The Last DJ, all the way through for the first time. The album deepens the theme of its title track with the next three tracks, Money Becomes King, Dreamville, and Joe. Then it broadens itself with a great mix of cynicism and nostalgia. It really feels like you're getting to know Tom Petty at that exact point in his life. Anyway, I'm really upset that he passed away this week, and I still hate when legends don't get the recognition they deserve until they die, but I did feel it was appropriate to give a few of my thoughts about one of the greatest musicians of our time on my podcast about musicians. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe to the Kendall Cast feed on iTunes or the podcatcher of your choice. You can find everything I do as well as links to my guest's work at kendallcast.ninja. Thanks again. He found a nightclub he could work at the door. She had a guitar and she taught him some chords. The sky was.